Today, if we wanted to divide it up into sections as far as what we'll need and what we'll look at, uh, verses 1 through 8 of chapter 8 is all about intercession. Um, and then chapter 8, verse 9, all the way to chapter 9, verse 19, is about action. And then we'll close the book uh, with the word recollection. And so, can you guys say those words with me? I, I know you normally don't do this, but can you say that word, number one, intercession? Intercession. intercession. That's us standing in the gap for others. Number two, action. Action. We got to go out and we got to work. We got to take steps of faith. We got to take risks even, like Esther did. And then number three, recollection. Recollection. And we're so uh, forgetful as a people, and so we need to heal our minds of that. So look at Esther chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. We're covering a lot of ground, so what we'll do is we'll read, we'll comment, we'll highlight a few things, and let's see how it all works together. I'm not used to teaching large portions at a time, and so forgive me. Uh, if I miss something, but verse 1, it says, On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And, and let me just pause there for a moment. Um, if you guys remember the story, what had happened was uh, Esther had went into the king, and she found favor with him. And uh, to make a long story short, you know, God used Esther to save the Jews. Haman had come up with a plan to annihilate them, just like, that's like Hitler. He wanted to annihilate the Jews because it's through the Jews that, that Jesus would come. And, and even today, the devil wants to annihilate the Jews because they are a sign to the world. Just the very fact that they have their land is a miracle in 1948 when they regained their land, in 1967 when they regained Jerusalem. That's a miracle. And so the enemy has always you know, focused on the Jews to try to wipe them out. But not just the Jews, everyone. Everyone. He wants to wipe all of us out. And I think it's important for us to know that we have an enemy. And so notice again there in verse 1 that this guy Haman, Esther, the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And, and we got to know that, you guys. Uh, the devil wants to take us to hell. See, we all, we're all going to die one day, and we have to make a choice whether or not we'll spend eternity with God or not. It's up to you. You want to be with the Lord, then all you have to do is bow your knee and allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. See, the enemy wants to destroy us. We have an enemy, uh, and he wants to destroy the work of Christ. He wants to destroy Christians. He wants to destroy everyone. Philippians 3.18 says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And so we have the enemies of Christianity. One day, there'll be no more enemies. Psalm 110, in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And so we have enemies now. One day, when all this stuff is done and there's no more of this thing called time, we're in heaven, there'll be no more enemies. But until then, we do. Ultimately, we need to know our enemy is the devil himself who wants to destroy us 
And we see throughout history who wanted to destroy the Jews. In Matthew 13, 39, the Bible says the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And so, you know, I know you guys are all cool. A lot of you here, you're like, man, I don't have any enemies. I'm a pretty easygoing guy, you know. And let me just tell you, man, you do have an enemy. And so, you know, right here, it says on that, on that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther, the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And so the king gave her his house, and Mordecai then came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. And so now her uncle comes into the, the palace. Prior to that, they didn't know they were related. Now they know they're related. Mordecai goes in. And so notice what happens in verse 2. The king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. And so basically Mordecai becomes the prime minister. He's the second most powerful man in Persia. Now, in, that, in those days, the Medo-Persian kingdom was the most powerful uh, uh, dominion on earth. And so, you know, this is what's going on. They defeat Haman and now things are starting to get set up and Mordecai is put in place. So in verse 3, um, it says, now, now Esther spoke again to the king. She fell down at his feet and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. And so Esther arose and stood before the king. And she said, if it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing sings right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen. You know, in my Bible, I don't know if you guys write in your Bibles, but in my Bible, I circled there in verse 3 um, how Esther spoke again. I circled that. You know, because maybe she thought, well, I've kind of done enough. Uh, I've uh, defeated Haman. He's no longer there. Mordecai's now prime minister, and so we can just kind of go on with life. But, but wait a minute, time out. There was still that decree that said on the 12th month and the 13th day, everyone in the whole world was going to wipe out the Jews. And so she had to go in again. That's what we read in verse three. Esther spoke again. And you know what that's symbolic of, you guys? Praying. You know, you're like, well, I already prayed. Well, pray again. Well, I, did, I prayed twice already. Well, pray three times. You know, and you, and you just continue to go in and you, you, know, you, you intercede. You stand in the gap over and over and over again until the day you die. And who knows, maybe by the time you're dead, maybe your loved one is still not a Christian, but God's still going to answer your prayers even after you die. You know, we, what does the Bible say in the, in the Greek language? It says you keep on asking. You keep on seeking, right? You keep on knocking. You don't just do it one time. And that's what Esther is doing right here. She is praying again. And the reason she is is because of what we read there in verse 6. 
How can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? You know, that's, that's the key. Let me ask you a question. Do you care? You know, you might have a great life, man, and you got it all set up, and you, you know, you got whatever, the house, the car, the clothes, the, the money, and, you know, the fun, entertainment. Your life is filled with purpose and whatever, and, you know, you just, for whatever reason, you forget all the people that are hurting and broken and lost and poor. You know, one of the things I want to share with you guys that the Lord has been laying on my heart, you know, we have to continue to do what we're doing as a church, which is to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified because it's through the gospel that people get saved. That's the most important thing. And to continue to teach the word so that Christians will be stronger as they study the Bible and the Spirit of God will take the word of God and conform us into the image of God. It's not in vain. But we have to, we have to work outside these four walls. You know, the Lord has been laying on my heart the homeless people. We got to reach out to the homeless people. We have to reach out to those who are trapped in, in sex slavery. The girls that are working on the, on the streets. We have to reach out to the high schoolers, the youth, the next generation. If any of you are interested in any of those ministries, please talk to me. Today, I called the police department. I called and I spoke with the individual involved in community relations, and I told them, we want to be involved in these three things. The youth, those that are you know, selling their bodies on Garvey and throughout Almani, and we want to be involved in helping the homeless, somehow feeding them. You know, we, we got to care. It's so cool to see people come out on Saturdays and they go out there and they share the faith, the jet team. There's not enough, though. I mean, I pray that you care because every single day, 300,000 people die. Where do they go? A lot of them are going to hell. Maybe we can make a difference. Maybe we can help them. And not only that, a lot of them are like in hell on their way to hell. And God says, do you care? That's what's going on right here. Hester says, how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? I, I pray that you care. Spurgeon said, winners of souls must first be weepers for souls. You know, Paul the Apostle in describing Timothy in Philippians 2.20 said, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. There's a lot of guys in there. You see them on television. They're writing the books. They're on the radio. They're involved in Christian ministry. They don't really care. They don't. They just in it for the money. They're in it for the power, the position, or whatever. This is the way their career ended up. They don't really care for people. We can't be that way. We have to really care for the souls of people that are made in the image of God. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, because she cared, she prayed. She prayed and she went in, you know, and she said, hey, you guys fast for three days and undoubtedly they're seeking the Lord. You know, they're serious about this. Don't eat any food or drink anything for three days. Right, And this whole thing went in that direction and now she's going in, verse three, to speak again 
And, and not only does she, does she intercede, we talked about this, but, but she acted, right? I mean, she moved. And that's so important for us to know that we gotta be doing things like that. We gotta be praying, but we also have to be, be acting, right? Um, the book of Acts, <laughs> you know, it wasn't the book of kicking back. It wasn't the book of being pew potatoes. It wasn't the book of staying home and doing nothing. It was the book of Acts, right? They were actively involved. And so when she talks to the king and she tells him her concern, in verse 7 it says, And then King Ahasuerus and to Queen Esther and Mordecai, the Jew, he said, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hands on the Jews. You yourselves now write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. And so in verse 5, when Esther is uh, speaking to the king, uh, she's kind of asking him to revoke the decree. Remember, they sent out a decree on the 12th month, 13th day, go ahead and kill the Jews. So she's kind of saying, can you revoke that? And basically what he's saying is we can't revoke that. That The law of the, the Persians and the Medes was set in stone. It's similar to what we're experiencing in our nation today. You know, uh, Trump, uh, he issued a, a travel ban on seven nations, right? Seven Muslim nations. And so that was his, uh, you know, law. Um, but now even the king is uh, susceptible to the law um, in this case, the president, now, uh, I don't know what the whole story is. Who knows? Maybe something happened today. You guys can fill me in later. But, you know, judges are overruling him. He can't change it, right? So there's like an element of submission here. This was called a constitutional monarchy. And so he said, well, we got that decree going out. Can't undo it. But this is what I can. I can issue another one. You guys, he said, I've given you Haman's house. Now, what you guys got to do is get together and write new legislation, a new decree. And so we read in verse 9, So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces, from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote in the name of the king Herasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses, bred from swift steeds. And so they write a law, and man, they just get it out in all the different languages as fast as they can. It says in verse 11, by these letters, the king permitted the Jews, and this is the law, permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of people or provinces that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions. On one day, all the provinces of King Ahasuerus on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. And so, you know, he just says, the law is you guys can defend yourself. You know, and, and he's not saying that you're going to be aggressive, not that you're going to go out and attack others, 
But the law is, if they come after you, you can defend yourself and, and if necessary, kill them. He says you can plunder their goods, but they didn't do that. They were not interested in plundering the goods of the enemy. All they were interested in doing was protecting themselves. Uh, the other day, I, I saw a sign at Hobby Lobby. It said, I don't call 911, and it had a gun right there. And I was thinking, oh, that's probably kind of like that, you know? I mean, I, and I, you guys know that, right? We can defend ourselves. If someone's going to try to come in and, and kill my family, I'll kill them. You know, and maybe I'll restrain them, but maybe not. Because who knows, if that individual has intention of slaughtering my family, they come in, I'm going to get rid of them. That's kind of what he's saying here. Now here's the law. But here's the way it changes everything. What it does now is it shows the whole wide world that the government, the prime minister, the king, the queen, the, the princes, the satraps, the leaders, they're all on the side of the Jews now. See, and that changes everything because prior to this, they were all against the Jews. And so you guys know how that is, right? You know how fickle people are. And sometimes, you know, they're like, well, everybody likes, you know, you know the, this side. And so they'll stick with this. And well, now everybody likes this side. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. And so he, he gives the new law. And then and in verse 13, it says, a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all people so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. And so it's intercession, but it's action. It's action, you know? And I, and I think for us, you know, we gotta know that. Let me ask you a question, you guys, just out of curiosity. Does God feed the birds? So God feeds the birds? Because the last time I saw a bird eat, uh, he, was, he was flying really fast. I saw him. I was watching him in my backyard. And he's scrambling around on the, on the grass. And then he's like picking like this. And finally he's all, he slurped up one of the worms, right? And so, you know, it, it's kind of a funny question. Um, we know God feeds the birds because he said so, right? He said uh, that he feeds the birds, he feeds the sparrows, but it doesn't mean that the sparrow just kicks back on the tree waiting for like some type of pizza delivery from God, right? No, the, the, the bird, and the sparrows are pretty interesting birds. Even though they're small birds, they'll travel 31 miles an hour, and they have, uh, I think it was, what, 30,000 feathers. They're, God gives them the capacity to see twice as good as we do. They're not the best uh, you know, birds as far as their, their, their capacity to see, but they see twice as good as we do. They can see their food. They can fly to it real quick, and they can, boom, get out of the way. And so the, the, the moral is, yeah, God feeds them, but they're active. And God gives them the capacity to fly and to see and to do everything they do, so they can't take the credit or the glory but I think that some Christians, they're you know, they have this misconception like, well, God's going to do it, so I'm just going to kick back. And, and you know, um, unless the Lord tells you to stand still, you won't have to fight in this one. Every once in a while, he'll say that. If not, you better fight. You better pray. You better be in the word. You better be knocking on doors. You better be sharing the gospel. You better be active. You got to get up and go. 
You have to seek the Lord. You have to go. We have to go reach out to the homeless and the youth that, man, when they get out of high school and they're on a royal, there's just hundreds of them. They come to McDonald's. Meet them there. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. You know, my heart goes out to those girls who are caught up in sex slavery, you know, and so we pray for them. Cool, but what's next? How will we help them? You know, in a church, you know, usually they say you got about 10% of the people that are actually serving and part of it. What about the other 90%? You know, for us, I mean, Esther, she prayed, but then she went in. You know, now here they're signing legislation. You know, now they're sending it out to everybody. I mean, she is actively doing due diligence to make a difference, right? And when the Jews, uh, you know, find out this whole thing is happening, they're, they're, they're ready to fight, right? I like what it says right there in verse 13. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all people so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemy. You know, the Christian life, it's a fight. You guys know that, right? How many of you here fight with your wife? Just out of curiosity. No, I'm just joking. I won't. <laughs> okay, listen, it's a fight, man. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Yes, there is that fight. We've got to stop fighting each other and start fighting the enemy. Sometimes when you fight, you, you better not say anything. You're like, well, that's part of my fight. I'm not going to say anything, you know. Um, there's, you know, ways of fighting, praying, and, you know, just wisdom that God gives you. You know, here we see, and we're going to see later, they use the sword. But the bottom line is, in verse 13, we must be ready for that day. I mean, every day, it makes a difference. But what if there was that one day that turned your heart against the will of God for your life? I mean, God had you set in you know, this way and it was beautiful and it was, man, awesome. And then one day the devil came in and just rerouted you to a different direction. You don't even know it. Next thing you know, you're out of the will of God. That day changed everything, right? The Bible talks about the evil day. And the Bible talks about how we have to be ready. Are you guys always ready? Charlie Campbell has the website, always be ready. We have to always be ready, right? 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give an answer. The Bible says we're supposed to always be ready to preach in season and out of season. The Bible says in Luke 12.40, we're supposed to always be ready for the Lord's return. We have to be ready because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow the devil will come knocking on your door. The devil himself. We have to be ready in Ephesians 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So there are days, there are seasons, there are times of our life where it's going to get a little bit more difficult, if not a lot more we got to be ready. So they sent out the decree so that everybody was ready, right? And so in verse 14, the couriers who rode on, on royal horses, they went out, hastened, and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Shushan, the citadel. And so Mordecai went out from the presence of the king 
in royal apparel of blue and white. That was the Persian colors. This guy, God just raised him up with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. Now, isn't this beautiful? Look at verse 16. The Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. Why? Because now they had hope. Now they had hope. You know, before I was a Christian, I didn't have any hope. I didn't have any power. You know, let's just say some girl or whatever, some drug, some drink came my way. I didn't have any power to say no to any of that. But when Jesus Christ came into my life, now there was power. Now there was hope. And that's kind of what they were given. It's interesting right here. It talks about the light and the gladness. John Gilley said, prosperity as opposed to the darkness of adversity in which they had been, or, or even maybe the lightsome of cheerfulness of spirit is explained by the next two words. You know, truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing. It is for the eyes to behold. And so we see here that now they had light. Prior to that, they had darkness. Now they had gladness and joy. Prior to that, they were mourning without hope. Now they had honor. Now they were free to fight. And so, you know, some guy comes your way and whatever, uh, you ladies, you got to be careful that, you know, you don't just let him sweep you off your feet because maybe he's a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? And so you got you to gotta be able to fight right? That fight, you have to be able to make the right decision. And, you know, just, I want to encourage you to make sure you wait on the Lord and you do things his way. And some guy says, I come, I want to, I want to be with you sexually. I love you. That's not love. You know, not until you get married. That's what that's made for, right? And so for us, you know, now we can actually resist. Now we can actually fight and we're going to have to do that. It's very important for us to understand. And so in looking at this, in verse 17, in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. They were free, man. Then many of the Jews of the land became Jews. That's interesting. Because fear of the Jews fell upon them. Uh, have you ever heard that saying, if you can't beat them, join them? A little bit like that, but, you know, a thousand times better. In, in, in one sense, what was going on now is like everybody was seeing that God was with these people. You know, it's kind of like Rahab in the book of Joshua, when she said, man, the Lord is with you. I'm with you. I want the same God that you have. There was this reverence, there was this fear. God was moving, and the people were actually becoming Jews. They were becoming believers in the living God as a result of the work that God was doing. See, that's beautiful when you see that. And so in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, Now in the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, on the 13th day, notice it says, The time came. For the king's command and his decree to be executed on the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. Now, isn't that a cool verse? 
You know, the devil comes in. He says, I got them. I'm going to take them to hell. I'm going to destroy their life. You know, I'm going to go fishing and I'm going to catch them. I'm going to overpower them. Now, like I said earlier, prior to becoming a Christian, I, I, I would have been like steamrolled. But now I can fight. Now I can say no. Now there's power. You know, when I want to get angry, I don't have to get angry because there is power. There is the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes when couples are having problems, they want to go in for counseling and they want to talk to a pastor or someone, the, the first thing you have to ask them is whether or not you really know the Lord. Because if you don't know the Lord, then you won't have the love that you need for your spouse to forgive them. You won't have the power to, to be faithful. You won't have the, the, what you need if you don't know the Lord. And so that's the first thing you ask them is, is, do you know the Lord? Secondly, what you ask them is, do you know the word? Do you know what the Bible says? And you begin to teach them the word. Do you believe this is God's authority? Are you willing to submit to it? Because if you're not willing to submit to the Bible, then there's no really, really good reason for us to counsel here. Because then, you know, you just do whatever you want to do. And so, are you saved? Do you know the Lord? Do you have the Bible? Do you know the Bible? Do you believe it to be God's word? Is there knowledge there? And then the third thing is, uh, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, I mean, are you, are you, do you really have power? Because here's one thing I've, I've found as a Christian. You know, you've got to have love. Love will always be present. You will always find love in a Christian. But when a Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit, that love will flow. And there's a difference between having a little bit of love, and yeah, I find it, and when it flows. And the love will flow, the power will flow. When we are baptized with the Holy Spirit and under his influence, where we're not living a life of sin, and what we desire to do is to please him and to be dependent upon him. Because if not, the enemy will overpower you and you will find yourself doing the will of the devil or the will of you as opposed to the will of God. And so I just love this passage right here because man, it was the day that supposedly the enemy was gonna overpower them and the opposite occurred and man, they overpowered those who hated them. In verse two, the Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm and no one could withstand them because fear of them fell upon all people. And all the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and all those doing the king's work helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell on them. They're like, hey, this guy's a prime minister, you know, and he's got the power. And so God used all this to give them the victory for Mordecai, it says in verse four, was great in the king's palace. And his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For this man, Mordecai, became increasingly prominent. And thus the Jews defeated all their enemies with the stroke of the sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them. 
you know, there's a lot of symbolism here. I think that Haman is a picture of the devil. He's a picture of the flesh. Esther is a picture of Christ, but she's also a picture of Christians. And Mordecai is a picture of the Holy Spirit, who's always trying to get us to do the right thing, right? But notice right here the sword of the Spirit, right? What are they swinging? This is how they defeated them, right? It says, with the sword. They defeated all their enemies with the stroke of the sword. And I'm telling you, you guys, as Christians, you know, you, you, you're a child of God who knows the word of God, and you obey that word, God will defeat your enemies who are coming against you. And so we read in verse 6, in this Shushan, the citadel, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, and also Parshandatha, Dalphan, Aspatha, Paratha, Dalia, Aradatha, Parmasta, Arisai, Aradai, and Vajasatha. I don't know if it's pronounced those right, but those are some tough cities. The sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, they killed, but they did not lay a hand on their plunder. See, they weren't interested in the money, right? They weren't. They were just trying to protect themselves and their families. On that day, the number of those who were killed in Shushan, the citadel, was brought to the king, and the king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Shushan, the citadel, and the 10 sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. Or what is your further request? It shall be done. Now it's interesting, this is a side note. Uh, prior to this, Queen Esther kept going into the king's presence, you know. This time it seems like he's coming to her. It's kind of cool. And anyways, uh, then Esther said, well, if it pleases the king, let it be granted the Jews who are in Shushan to do again tomorrow according to today's decree and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. And so the 12th month, 13th day, you know, God gave them the victory, but Esther, you know, says, can we do it again tomorrow? Because I know what's going to happen. These people are going to come after us. And so uh, wisdom, right? And so the king commanded this to be done in verse 14. And the decree was issued in Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. And remember what I was talking about last week? Not just hanging them, they probably impaled them. So everybody's seeing, oh, man, better watch out. It's just so cool when God gives you favor. When, when God is for us, who can be against us? That's the bottom line. All you got to do is make sure you're on the right team. Have you chosen Jesus Christ? Are you submitted to him? Do you know his love? I pray that you, that you, that you do. You know, as they're there, and it says in verse 15, and the Jews who were in Shushan, they gathered together on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men at Shushan, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. And so, I don't know, do you guys see the action? They're not just kicking back, you know, watching Shark Tank. I mean, do you see the action going on? I mean, they're going to church on midweek, you know? I mean, there's action, right? And do you see that? I mean, so they're, they're winning. They're defeating the enemies, right? And so it says in verse 16, the remainder of the Jews in the king's provinces, they gathered together and protected their lives. And I love this, had rest from their enemies, killed 75,000 of their enemies. But again, they did not lay hand on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar and on the 14th of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. 
But the Jews who were in Shushan assembled together on the 13th day as well as on the 14th. And on the 15th of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled towns celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar with gladness and feasting as a holiday and for sending presents to one another. And you guys, there should be some of that going on now. I pray that to a certain extent, you guys, we're just like so blessed that we're saved and we're free and we're forgiven and God's giving us victories. You know, we see a lot of crazy things happen on earth and I know it can be difficult, but you know, you try to stay focused on how God can even take the things that you're going through and the Bible says all things work together for good. But you gotta know this, one day we will be home in heaven. You ever think about that? And I know life gets hard, and you're like, well, I don't understand. You said he feeds the sparrows, but now that one fell to the ground. I don't understand. It's because we live in a fallen world, but this is not our home. One day we'll be home in heaven. I'll be out of a job. Angels still be leading worship. There's going to be worship in heaven. You guys will know everything. You won't need a teacher, but do you realize the joy the joy of when we're going to be home in heaven one day. I mean, that's kind of what we're seeing, glimpses of this right here. I love to see the Jews. You know, unfortunately here in this area, for the most part, we're pretty uh, introverted, right? We're kind of conservative, and we might lift our hand a little bit, you know? And, but every once in a while, you just see people like expressing themselves and worship and dancing and free and rejoicing and you know, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're moving towards that. But I pray even the introverts would one day be extroverts. And I mean, I don't know. I just, the joy of victory. See, and so in looking at our study, there's that intercession. Esther goes in and she prays, and, and that's so awesome. And then there's the action, right? And then there's a lot of that. There's, you know, I mean, legislation that's taking place. There's couriers that are being sent. There's fighting that's going on. But then the last part is, is recollection. And they just want to make sure that they don't forget what God has done. And so we read in verse 20, and Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to establish among them that they should celebrate every year the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies, as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy, I love that, for them, and from mourning to holiday, and that they should make them days of feasting and joy, of sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor, and so the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun as Mordecai had written to them because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast purr, that is the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. And so they called these days Purim, after the name Pur. Uh, that means lot. And therefore, because of all the words of this letter, what they had seen concerning this matter and what had happened to them, 
the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them that without fail they would celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province and every city that these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews, and that the memory of them should not perish among the descendants. And, and, and intercession, action, and then recollection. You know what our, our, our problem is? A lot of times we forget. You know, do you remember the day that you got saved? I, I mean, some of you here, you remember the day. What a day that was. Why is there not a stronger fire today? than then. I mean, what God has done for, do you forget what Jesus did on the cross? Where he was nailed to the cross? Where he suffered for our sins? Where all our sins were placed on him and he was separated from his father for the first time in all of eternity? Do we forget what he did for us? Do we forget the resurrection? Do we forget the time and time and time again how he has delivered us? The reason why we struggle a lot of times is because we forget. And so here, Mordecai, he writes a law. He says, you must never forget what God has done for you. He made you. He loves you. He died for you. He delivered you. When the enemy thought he would take you to hell, now you're going to heaven. Don't ever forget. And so they, they write this law. And even today, the Jews still celebrate this law. But I think that a lot of times we have this terrible habit of forgetting. I read a story about a doctor who was speaking to his patient. And he said, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, I don't treat amnesia patients. <laughs> and I just thought, thank God the great physician does, Right? He does treat amnesia patients. He has patience with us and he reminds us and he reminds us and he reminds us with the function of recollection to remember because we have the tendency to forget. I heard another story about the city man who was visiting his relatives on a farm and the farmer gave a whistle and his dog herded the cattle into the corral and then latched the gate with his paw. And so he's, the city man's like, wow, that's some dog. What's, what's her name? And the forgetful farmer thought for a minute, and then he said, uh, uh, what do you call that red flower that smells good and has thorns on, on the stem? And, and he said, a rose. And he said, that's it. And so he turned to his wife, Rose, what's the dog's name? <laughs> I tell you, man, too many times. Why? Why do we struggle the way that we do? I, I'm telling you this, man. If the cross and the day of salvation were fresh in our memory, we would be sold out and surrendered, completely committed, on fire perpetually. But our problem is we have a tendency to forget. And so Mordecai says, I'm going to make this. They must never forget. And so in verse 29, that Queen Esther, the daughter of Ahabhel, with Mordecai the Jew, she wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the king, 
of Hasuerus with the words of peace and truth, so beautiful, to confirm these days of Purim at their appointed time as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them, and as they had decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting. And so the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land, on the, on, the, on the islands of the sea, the coastlands. A lot of people believe that what happened was the kingdom actually prospered with Mordecai as his right-hand man. Now all the acts of his power and his might and the account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all countrymen. And you know, I don't want to overdo it, but like I said earlier, a lot of theologians believe Mordecai is a typology of the Holy Spirit who's here and, uh, and he wants to speak to us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to continue this wonderful work that Jesus has begun. One last thing, you guys. When you look at this whole story right here, it's interesting, the parallel. Ultimately, the way that it works is this, because Haman issued that first decree, and the way that it works is that there's something like that going on in, in, in the kingdom, and that is this. The, the first decree is the law. The Bible says the soul who sins shall die. That's the decree. That's the law. The soul who sins shall die and go to hell, right? And so you're like, well, I don't like that law. I'm sure God doesn't like it, right? But here's the thing. God has allowed this law and he can't violate it, just like the king couldn't violate it, right? Because if he violated that law, then he would violate his own holiness. He can't erase it. He can't eradicate it. He can't. So what did he do? He came up with another law. Another decree has been issued that if the soul who sins admits their sin, believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and confesses him as their savior, then they will be saved. And the enemy who tried to overpower them, they will overpower him. You see? And what, why, what we see, and you guys, you know, I know most of you here are Christians. Maybe all of you are. But if there's anyone here who's not, then today's the day. You know, the other day you're talking to someone. If you were to die today, you, you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And uh, that's, a, that's a heavy question. How about you? Do you know for sure that you go to heaven. And you're like, yeah, I do. Okay, let me ask you a question. Why? Why should God let you into heaven? And a lot of times people say, well, I'm a good person. Then you're not going to get in. If that's your answer, you're not going to get in because you're not good enough to go into heaven on your own righteousness. Well, I went to church. That doesn't make you a Christian either, right? What makes you a Christian is admitting you've sinned and what you do is you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He died for me on the cross. He rose again. I believe. And as you believe, then that second decree then sets you free. And so today I pray that we would all have placed our faith 
in Jesus. I always tell people, well, how do you get saved? And you know, the theological answer is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I hope you know that. But if for some reason you're like, I'm trying to figure it out, let me just give you the simple answer. Jesus. If you're there at heaven's door and they ask you, why should I let you? And you just say, Jesus. And they'll let you in.